I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. Producing artistic director Carolyn Griffin has been with Metro Stage in Old Town Alexandria, Virginia, since its founding in 1984, and she has produced over 100 main stage productions, including 17 plays and musicals that were world premieres, and dozens of cabarets. She is committed to producing the best contemporary writing and showcasing the best regional artists reflecting the diversity of the DC metro area for a broad-based audience. She has built three theaters by repurposing non-traditional storefronts and a lumber warehouse into intimate, well-equipped theater spaces, and she is currently working on a fourth. She has chaired both the Alexandria Arts Forum, which she co-founded, and the Cultural Affairs Committee of the Alexandria Chamber of Commerce and she has served on regional panels for both the Virginia Commission for the Arts and Kentucky Arts Council. She has received many awards, including the Actors Center Award of Distinction, the Cultural Affairs Award from the Alexandria Commission for Women, and the Helen Star, named after Helen Hayes from Theatre Washington, and presented to daring visionaries who have shaped and redefined the landscape of Washington theater. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, Stefan. How are you? I'm great. Good. It's a gorgeous sunny afternoon. It, I'm very, very great. It's a beautiful day. And thank you so much for uh, agreeing to come here to American Theatre Artists Online and talk to us. Um, I'm so excited that, that you had the time to do this. And um, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. Uh, we've had this podcast going on for over two months. And I, I've had you in the back of my head um, for a while. About At one point, I want to get to talk to Carolyn Griffin. So... I'm glad we finally were able to do it. Well, that's great because, you know, I can talk forever about Metro Stage. So you watch out. <laughs> I, got, I got a lot, a lot of stories to tell. Well, that's what, that's what we want. Yes, that's 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 what we want. We want you to talk. Don't worry. We'll you know we'll 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 get as much out of you as we can uh, today in the time that we have because we want to know more about Metro Stage, which is this beautiful theater uh, in. Alexandria, Virginia, and for those that are listening that are not in the D.C. area. If you're in the D.C. area, you know about Metro Stage. Almost everyone in the D.C. area knows when they hear the words Metro Stage, they know about this theater. But those that are outside of, of the area, tell us a little bit about Metro Stage. Well, it, it's amazing how it all happened. In, in 1984, an acting um, teacher in Alexandria, Jill Camp, now Jill Camp Milton, um, decided she wanted to found a, a start a professional theater in Alexandria. And little, I didn't know Jill, I didn't know anything about this. I was just graduating from um, Georgetown um, with an MBA and wondering what on earth am I going to do now? <laughs> and I, I went to a little showcase one, one evening and was just enthralled with the idea. The next morning I called her, I said I would, um, I guess I had met her the night before, I called her and I said, I'll write you a check and I'll be on your board. Well, so I, just to be clear, I wrote her a check for $25 and <laughs> I did end up on her board. And by the time I finished my first meeting with her in her dining room, um, I was the managing director. So that's oh, wow. That's in a nutshell. <laughs> wow, that's a pretty amazing beginning. The first thing I did as with my MBA was tell her we needed to get a, ch a bank account in the company name, and she had to stop writing checks out of her. So there, <laughs> and it went, 
I hope it's gone uphill from there. No, um, that's great. Well, I'm yeah, having an M- was, having an MBA is really fortuitous. important. Um, I think, and that that in September of 1984 to have this happening in Alexandria, where I live, having always loved theater, never imagining there was a career in the performing arts for me. Um, it was just kind of extraordinary, and uh, from the moment I started, it was it was kind of a passion project. It was it's always been something I believed in, and I've I've committed the rest of my professional career to. So, and now over thirty five years later, you're the producing artistic director of Metro Stage, and and for as long as I can remember, you are Metro Stage. I don't really ever think of anyone else, you know. And I know you've had help. I know you've had help, of course, but really you've done the bulk of it from what I've witnessed, this is just from me kind of from the outside looking in, you really are the driving force behind this theater and it's been over three decades. So tell us about what you think is the main mission of Metro Stage. What has been your philosophy? Has it changed over over the decades or, or what has sort of been your main um, purpose that you see for Metro Stage? Well, it's always been to present an eclectic series of plays and and it evolved into more musicals we didn't do musicals in the beginning because they scared me because they were big and expensive Uh but over time we started doing them and i fell in love with them so uh it's a it's always a a presenting a season of plays and musicals that i i think in our mission we say to enrich enlighten educate and intrigue i don't know it's the same old mission that everybody has you want to give the best artistic you know, experience to your audience. And in our case, it evolved over time to really focusing on the di- complementing the diversity in the community and offering shows that reflected that diversity in, in many, many cases. So we started out in our first theater opened with our first season in 1987 with Athel Fugard's Blood Knot. And we have continued from there. Hmm. And it's always been diverse and it's gotten more and more diverse just as it's gotten more and more musical. Even if play, we turn it into a musical or we it's, it becomes a play with music. It's um, It's been an interesting evolution, but we've never really strayed from the, we've always been in, let's say, we've always been in a very small space, hmm. the first, theater we built was um, 65 seats. The last theater that just got torn down was 120 after 35 years. Mm. I'm not sure some people would define that as progress, but I do. (laughs) And we're probably moving into another 120 seat space. So it's intimate. It's an intimate space always, yes. Well, it always isn't that. What that means, I'm not even going to use the word limit, but it defines the kind of work you can do. I cannot put on, you know, West Side Story no. or, you know, Chorus Line. You know, it's 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 just, um, it's a small, intimate space and we choose small, intimate plays. So whether it's two characters or four characters, or well, we've gotten up to six or eight, but but it's, it's really an intense, small, intimate experience. And regardless of, the choice it always ends up and has that impact and that's the thing I look for when I'm reading plays and looking for plays and considering plays what what will impact my audience what will what will give them an experience in an, in an hour and a half two hours two hours 15 where they will leave having been moved having 
been entertained, mm. hopefully really thinking about whatever it was, remembering it. Mm. One of the most special things that happens to me is when I'm in the lobby and somebody comes in and says, remember when you did such and such, and that they can never remember the name of the play. So I have to say, okay, give me a hint. And they give me a hint and I say, oh, that was such and such and such and such a year. Wow. And the fact that people remember, remember. it's a marker. Because it, was, yeah. because it was small, intimate and powerful, and they are still thinking about it 10 years later, that makes it, my, my life worth getting up in the morning. Well, I and think I think part of what has happened over the years, Carolyn, if I may, as I've been watching you and what everything that you're doing over there, um, is you have a very eclectic taste yourself. You like a lot of different things, it seems. And you the, the seasons you put together are always very varied. There's a lot of different kinds of stuff. And yes, the, the one thing they do have in common is that they are smaller, more intimate shows, perhaps with a smaller cast. Um, you know, it's not cast of 50 people. I mean, you can't fit them in there. But the, but the diversity of the themes, there's always a lot of difference. in, in the, And, and you, you, your title is producing artistic director. And I think there's something about that in the way you approach. You're almost like you curate these seasons and you and, and then you have to do all the work of getting everyone in the room right which takes that's yes. the hard lifting I, so how do you put I the seasons to together say as the producing artistic director I choose the plays I work all year every year thinking about what we want to produce what might be available what might be available with the actor I want to be in the lead when you have these small cast plays mm -hmm. often it's dependent on some pretty special casting and so you have to make sure that particular actor is available in the time slot or you have to rearrange and juggle things and yeah. so i and what's so interesting to me is by the end of this process at the end of a year process things seem to just kind of fall into place <laughs> And all of a sudden, you have this here and that there, and it makes sense because that was meant to be there. And it, it's just, it's, I've always uh, described it as kind of putting a puzzle together. Mm. But the, the glory and the problem of being in this position in such a small theater, in such a small situation, is I do it alone, which is glorious, and I have no help, which is a problem. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm always wondering how you find all the energy and the time to do all the things that you do. And 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 I just starting to think about all the pieces that come forth being, you're sort of, you know, because a lot of the other theaters, even when they're small, they'll have an artistic director and then they'll have a managing director. And your role is sort of both. You are both, not sort of both. It seems to be both. Do you have anyone helping you at all in any way, shape or form at that level? Or is it just, you know, you get help. Not at that level. Now, okay. I've had some remarkable people helping me in the past in different capacities. For like administrative and other, other things. Well, not really administrative. Oh, okay. I mean, I do the admin. I mean, wow. that's just the reality of it. Whew. I, yeah. I've never had a budget to, for me to hand right. over to a managing director do the finances. Mm -hmm. I do the finances. Well, but you know, your MBA, your MBA is certainly paid off, Carolyn. Yeah, <laughs> You're running a business. You're running a business. But there are some of the things that, you know, have been so helpful over the years. So Chris Banks worked with me for years and mm -hmm. he started out as my photographer, but mm -hmm. by the end he was, he was doing all of my graphic design and photographs plus graphic design plus helping to build sets. He was doing, he had such a range of, of jobs that mm -hmm. it was amazing so it's not that i don't have help sure i don't have admin help so I see. of course i'm i'm the one who's 
choosing and hiring the directors, the designers. Mm. I'm working on casting with the directors, but I always have some ideas and sure. input and um, things like that. So, so it's a it's a very all encompassing role though. It's much more than other theaters that I've seen. You you yeah. know, you are really carrying a lot of the load yourself and and that's fine and you've obviously been very I think successful for the last uh 3 and 3 and a half decades. So you're doing something right. Uh but uh the I have, you know, you you mentioned earlier when you were describing some of your philosophy and also um some of what the theater uh, wants to bring to the community as well as the larger DC uh, metro area. You mentioned wanting to showcase and promote and, and give a space, you know, the, and a voice for artists of color. Your diversity is important to you. And you've also partnered a lot with African-American artists. And you you seem to at your theater present a lot of African-American themes. A lot of your plays and musicals that I have seen and, and, and read about um, are around the theme of African-American artists and their work. Tell me more about why that's important to you and what some of the best collaborations have, have been for you during that period, during this period of, of showcasing those works. Okay. I, it's, it's almost like I find the stories of these African-American artists so fascinating and so important from an historical and an artistic standpoint, because the impact these artists made for, for future generations and future artists is, is indisputable. Yes. So to be able to put on um, the Josephine tonight about Josephine Baker, I mean, she yes. was groundbreaking for heaven's sake. Absolutely. And it's a fascinating uh, piece of theater. And I brought in um, Maurice Hines, famous Maurice Hines, yes. who's so amazing. Yes, to yes. Direct and choreograph that. and. And um, whether it's it's a you know doing we've done Mahalia twice, mm -hmm. um, extraordinary piece of theater Mahalia with two other um, uh, a, two musicians who played both the piano and the organ and telling Mahalia's story is just breathtaking. And the goal, as I say this, the goal is always to bring in you know obviously it's diverse on stage. It is incredibly important to me to bring these stories to a diverse audience. And you're well. serving, yes, you are, just to make it clear for those who don't know the D.C. area and where Metro Stage is located, you're serving a very important community, which is in, in PG County, right, across the river. Yes. And uh, right, your theater, be because of its location, you are located in such a nice crossroads, right, because you've got... Uh, the Alexandria area on one side, and then you've got PG County, and you've got a quite large um, African American affluent African American community right across the river that comes to your shows. You actually bring in the audiences because the material you've chosen speaks to them, and that's so wonderful that you're able to serve that community uh, that is so often not served. Exactly. The thing is, we can we can attract audiences. You know, if you know if you know the area you're going straight down 95 there's stafford virginia and fredericksburg that's 45 minutes to an hour to the south we bring in those audiences mm -hmm. i've had busloads come from richmond to see yes. these shows i you know for, you, as you said pg county comes right over the bridge to us mm -hmm. we get people as far as annapolis and all through pg county and around the beltway but the goal is and i can't say we're always successful in, in completely diversifying the audience because I'd like to have 
more white audiences, and, and we, it's not that we don't get white audiences to see Mahalia, but I think there's something so powerful to see, to experience this, these kinds of artists, these um, stories, the music in a mixed audience. Yes, interesting. And, and yeah. that's been my goal, and it's not that easy. No. Not that every, there's every theater will tell you, you know, I've, I've often said the mo- some of the most segregated things around these days are th- our theater audiences because it just, it's, it's hard to get. Yeah. A, but, a, you know, if you look at just one season that you have done, the 2018-2019 season, you got everything from an Ethel Fugard play to a rock and roll musical to Christmas at the Old Bull and Bush to Three Sisters uh, African-American take on, I assume, on Three Sisters. I did not get to see that one. But but so what I'm saying is you you it's a, that's a pretty diverse season, um, Carolyn, in one. Absolutely. <laughs> and of course, the rock musical was a, a Scottish rocker. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a bit of everything. Right. And I think you have something for everyone. And that's hard to achieve in, in a small well, space. Yes, the goal in any season is to get season subscribers, not only because it guarantees some box office income, but because if you can get a season subscriber to come to see all four of those plays, they will have experienced an extraordinary range of entertainment, of artistry, of storytelling, of of whatever. Yeah, fully commit. They're fully, you're you're getting them through the whole um, process of of the four shows. and there's it sometimes yeah. as time has gone ha- past yes. with these three decades, things have changed, and the subscription they've been saying the subscription thing has been dying for years, and it really has been. And what has happened is you have to be more flexible with your subscription, so you can't expect people to come to all four of your plays or all eight of your plays. You have to give them choices: a, a two-play option, a three-play option. Or yeah, and you do all of that. Yes. And and we do, but that's evolved over time. It didn't mm. used to be that way with subscribers. So yeah. you know, you can see how some people are choosing certain plays other over mm-hmm. over other plays and clustering different. It's just it's just a fact of life. Now you you see we will um, you know hopefully it, it's a slow process, but times change. Times are changing. Yes. Luckily. And, um, I, I, I'm very hopeful that we can continue. But I would just say, not only have we done a whole, oh, oh three or four, maybe five, um, Athol Fugard plays over time, but we've done um, the works, of, a lot of the original works of Thomas W. Jones II, Jones II from Atlanta. He's been an artistic um, associate of, of mine for years and years and years. He's, he, we premiered Three Sisters in 2002. We, we have... Um, put it up four times, produced wow. it four times, mm-hmm. and and that's an original. Here. That's an original it's work an original of his piece mm-hmm. that adapted. Um, you know, not well influenced, adapted ever, ever so slightly influenced by Chekhov's three sisters. Three sisters. But it is, after, and of course, right now, um, it it takes place in 1968, and the city DC it takes place in DC. The city mm-hmm. is burning. And the protests are out, and oh, so wow. it just kind of takes my breath away to think of that play right now yes. under these circumstances. But we've done so many of his plays. He has—he's based in Atlanta. He mm-hmm. has a, a, he has his plays produced all over the country. But yeah. 
um, there's a, co a company in um, Atlanta that also does a lot, and we often pair up with the Horizon Theater in, in Atlanta. But um, it's they're they're important stories. I mean, for for example, um, he he wrote a play, a musical called Cool Papa's Party, and it was based mm -hmm. on the life. Was slightly fictionalized, but based on the life of Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, wow. you know, he wrote Brick Top about Brick Top who Cole Porter's friend, yes. in yeah. um, Paris. And, uh -huh. and he wrote Lady Swing the Blues, one of my very favorites, which was about Charlie Parker. And of course we have the Charlie Parker play, played by Charlie Parker character played by um, Anthony Mayno, who's done a lot of work with us, who's just a stunning wow. artist. LA. And then you have the four women who are talking about Charlie Parker because it's the night he, I think the night he dies, oh. and they're they're at Birdland and they're talking and reminiscing wow. and 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 it's Billie Holiday and Sarah Vaughan and Ella Fitzgerald and Peggy Lee. So wow. in so many of these, we've done not a Tom Jones piece, but we did His Eyes on the Sparrow about Ethel Waters. Tom Jones wrote a piece about um, Pearl Bailey. There was, as I mentioned, Josephine tonight. We did an Ella Fitzgerald show. Wow. And and Bessie's any and Tom wrote Bessie's the show uh, Bessie's Blues. But these are just these are just a smattering of the things we've produced at Metro Stage. But they all, you know, sometimes critics poo poo. You know, oh, about that about the bio musical genre. But mm. I'm sorry, these mus these artists have extraordinary stories to tell Absolutely. based on their lives and their music and the influence beyond in, in the next generation. So I'm very proud of telling their stories and uh, exposing a, a broad audience to their music if they weren't. Well, and, and by partnering with um, and collaborating with uh, Tom Jones, Thomas W. Jones II, who I've gotten to work with too. He's fantastic to work with. Um, to be able to partner with him and, and by, by giving the space um, for these stories to be told, because although some critics may not care for the bio musical or the biopic, audiences love them because audiences want to know these stories and you're absolutely right that's the magnet to bring people in to maybe getting a a bigger understanding or a broader understanding about you know we're all human when it comes down to it and the stories are human stories um and but it's it's amazing a lot of these stories too are stories that uh white audiences don't get a chance to hear Ever, unless you expose them to them, you know, uh, we don't know the a lot. There's so much behind the history of some of these artists, whether it's Bessie exactly. Bessie Smith or or Ella Fitzgerald or or you know or any of these these artists, um, African American artists that we often don't get exposed to. So you're bringing that is really huge. So you've had that long tradition of working with artists of color and um and 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 having your your theater be a home for them. Um, do you have anything, um, I, I know that there, there are, you know, we'll talk in a bit about the theater and the new space that's coming up because you've got an exciting project around that. But um, I know Tom Jones is one of your big collaborators. You, met, you mentioned working with Maurice Hines. Have there been other um, artists? I know that William Hubbard does a lot of the music around that works with Tom, right? William Hubbard and William Knowles. William okay. Hubbard wrote the music for, um, for Three Sisters, Three sisters. And, and and William Knowles more recently has been, done a lot of the original music. Um, he wrote the music for um, 
Oh gosh, he's, he's written most of the music in recent years. Yes, for a lot of the different and, shows. And he's written the music for the plays that we turned into musicals. Right, I was going to say, do, how does that happen? Do, does, does Tom do it in Atlanta and then call you and say, hey, Carolyn, I have this new play that I'm working on about Bessie and it's called Bessie's Blues. I'm just using it as an example. That may not be the right one, but you know, or, or does he say, Carolyn, I need some, a workshop space. Uh, Carolyn, what do you think? How, do you guys collaborate on the, or does he come it, with it fully formed and needs a space or is it a bit of both? Well, I can say that at one point, and it may have been with Three Sisters, it may have been with something else. Sure. I watched Tom Jones sit on a piano bench with William Hubbard on my stage at my little baby grand piano and write a song. So <gasps> Nice. That's <laughs> always wonderful. Are, they're amazing collaborators, whether it's Tom with William Hubbard or with William Knowles. Right. Um, it's amazing collaboration. A lot of it happens before it gets to my theater, and then a lot of it happens. On the stage. On the stage. In the process. Um, so that's a wonderful it, thing to be I able to say. Watch. Yeah, that's wonderful. So but, but uh, even for instance, yes. Let me let me give you a few more examples. Absolutely. When we did G's Bend, mm -hmm. um, G's Bend. Oh, and I wish I could remember her, her name. Uh, the Elizabeth yeah, Gregory Bend. Wilder. Wilder. Yes. Yes. Of I've got the yeah. website in front of me. I'm cheating, oh, good. Carol. Okay. Because <laughs> I don't to, remember. You know, nominations yes. and such recognition and I begged her to come up from oh uh, Swanee and she, she teaches at Swanee she, has a, mm. she had a little child at the time and she couldn't get up and after sure. we got all these nominations I wrote her and said I told you I told you it was fabulous <laughs> See? but here again in a piece like this about the I mean here again it's history and it's beautiful stories storytelling G's Bend is about the the quilt makers in G's Bend, Alabama, and hmm. they, um, you know, it just just extraordinary quilts that were discovered by probably I believe somebody was just kind of going through the rural areas looking for looking to see what was going on, and hmm. he discovered maybe looking for it. I don't know. But he discovered these quilts. They ended up in in museums all over the country, and hmm. now they're very famous. Um, the G's Bend quilts, and they were so extraordinary because these women in this little bend in the river in Alabama, you know, had not been, you know, were not familiar with some of the abstract artists of the 20th century, and sure. their art was extraordinary. But wow. so this is the story of G's Bend. So in between, in scene changes, we have original music for the scene changes, so it becomes a whole element of music and even in the story one of the fascinating things that few people know is the night before the Selma March Martin Luther King Jr. and his people came by and spent the night at G's Bend and it, hmm. in, the, in the play it talks about how the women are sitting in the church and it's getting later and later and it's raining and it's muddy and they don't know if hmm. he's coming and eventually he comes and it's just this extraordinary hmm. historical moment that we can tell on a stage that will move an audience to tears, but they will leave having been moved emotionally, but have learned something in the process. And if theater can do that without, I always say, you know, without being too, you know, hammering people over the head with some political issue, but just tell the stories that tell our history mm -hmm. or tell the, the history of the, the 20th century and and let people 
you know, experience it and they will never forget it if you tell it the right way and in, a, hmm. in, a, in an artistic, powerful, professional way. It, it has extraordinary impact. And hmm. so, so many, I could, you know, I could go down the line. I, I know you want to get onto our new theater, but I just have No, to no, there's time. Go ahead. Because we did the same thing. We did the same thing with Are You Now or Have You Ever Been by Carlisle Brown, which was about Lane. Who knew? that Langston Hughes was called before the committee mm. by Joseph McCarthy. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't and, either. Yeah. And it's this fascinating story, based true story. And here again, we added amazing original music to this piece. Wow. And it became an entire another experience than just Langston Hughes and Joe McCarthy. Right. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to say because some of the theaters, you know, and this is no criticism to other theaters, but a lot of times when theaters uh, that are not, you know, spearheaded by African-American artists, uh, they want to add diversity. They want diversity in their season. So what they do is they'll do an August Wilson play or they'll do a play, you know, that's that's often done, you know, they'll do A Raisin in the Sun. They'll do, you know, not, I'm not saying it's that simple. Obviously, theaters think harder than that, but a lot, for a long time, that was sort of the idea of, oh, I'm providing diversity. But you, for the longest time, have been integrating these pieces as uh, you're creating them, uh, curating them, putting them together, um, in your space so it wasn't just you know let's do an august you know you're not you're not just throwing in an august wilson play in there you're actually doing something new you're creating a new piece bringing together artists of color in your theater to work on or to 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 refine or hone you're giving them a space to refine and hone their own work and i think that's much more of what i we, we think about when we think of diversity, that's what we, we want in a season of diversity, not just, you know, throw a August Wilson play in there and then forget about right. it for the rest. And that's now been a I criticism can, of I, theater this lately. I can also give you a couple other examples mm-hmm. that I'm very proud of. There's an, um, a fabulous actor in, in New York, Jay Alvarez, or I guess Jorge Alvarez, but he goes by Jay Alvarez. Sure. And he wrote, he's Cuban, and he wrote a play called um, be careful, the sharks will eat you. And it was a one one person play that I found in New York, and I brought him down, and it told the story of his family escaping Cuba mm. to get to Miami in the '60s, escaping Castro, and it was it, he had you on the edge of your seat, and wow. you knew they made it to Cuba. That you knew they made it to Miami because mm. he's on stage right now before. I right. <laughs> wow. Storytelling was so incredible. Mm. And so intense, and I'll never forget. And it was very fun because at our concessions, we were selling mojitos and Cuba libres, <laughs> which was even made it even more fun. But we would have afterwards in the lobby over mojitos and Cuba libres, um, people would stay and tell stories. And I'll never forget young, uh, young people, from Cubans, in our audience at the at my door, leaving one night, saying. We've never had we've never had our story told on yeah. stage. This is so incredible, yeah. and I mean it makes it all. It makes the twenty two out of twenty four hours I spend every day. It makes it worth the time when you can have that kind of impact on an audience sure. telling their stories, whether it's Cuban, Black, 
you know, the Jewish stories we've told are yeah. amazing stories. Well, I can see, I can hear the energy in your voice and the enthusiasm, and I, that's good. I mean, that's all we need to know. But I mean, the, it takes time to curate those things. It takes time to do it with care and in the proper fashion. And what I've noticed is that's the, you have a passion for these themes, and I think you just like interesting stories and diverse stories. And that's why, you know, and you, you provided this space. Now, what, what is, you said that you'd seen a play in New York, and, and then you decided to bring it to Metro stage is that how you do how do you find these pieces is it just keeping your ear to the ground is it the connections and the people that you know in the theater for the many decades that you've been working or is it you go to new york if there's something interesting you bring it how how do you find these pieces because they're always so original (laughs) it's absolutely all of the above okay you'll never you know i made you know, just run across an article in a, in a newspaper I don't usually read, and there is a review of something amazing. I think that's where I discovered Ghostwriter um, a few years ago, mm. year, years ago, and as it starred, um, we put it up with, um, it was an amazing piece um, with um, Susan Linsky and Paul Morella and Helen Hedman. I mean, wow. amazing piece. That may have been the one I found in Boston, but you know, mm-hmm. it, it really varies. There's no rhyme or reason to how I find these things. It is just literally always be on, being on high alert. Right, and, and things that interest somebody, you, right, that appeal to yeah, you. Yeah, well, it's, and I know it's like, you know, when they say, you know, you know when you see it. Mm. I know it. I mean, when, when a friend from Chicago sends me a play, I, you know, what's, what's actually really lovely is when actors send me a play then actors will send me a play and they say, this is, this sounds like you, this is, this sounds mm. like Metro stage. And, and oftentimes it's right on the mark. And I think I'm really happy that people recognize who we are. You've developed a style, and right. Can, and can really identify <laughs> it so accurately that they send me something. I've had plays sent to me and I will have to, you know, get up out of the chair. I'm halfway through and I have to call the person and say, Oh my God, I'm, I'm hysterical. I love this. Well, you know, your your tagline for Metro Stage has always been throughout the years, off-Broadway on the river's edge. That's been the yes. tagline that you've used. I think it's a smart one. It makes sense because that's the way I've always seen Metro Stage too. And my my um, time seeing shows there, the many times I've gone to see your shows, I, I've always felt this is like a nice, intimate, curated experience that I'm never going to have anywhere else. That's what I feel when I walk out. I go, I'm not, there's nowhere else I'm going to have this. And I think, you know, that was probably the intent of the off-Broadway and the off-off-Broadway movement in New York when, when it happened. And so you brought that to D.C. It's harder to get sometimes when you're outside of New York City to get that feel. And, and so to have it here in, in Alexandria in Virginia is just such a, a, a treat. So, you know, you've been doing this for a long time now in all these different decades and and you have built over the years three different theaters um, a lot of times by repurposing non-traditional spaces right um, and so the last theater that you were in the the one you were just talking about was a converted lumber yard is that correct Lum- a lumber warehouse, warehouse. metal clad lumber warehouse that went back to the 40s I believe wow. and um, when we were well to even back up we were in a strip shopping center for a number of years mm-hmm. on Duke Street in Alexandria yeah. and you know, as I say, we go from one condemned building to another because they always get turned into condos. You know, <coughs> 20 right. years after we've moved in and established a theater, they always become condos. Well, now but now, 
But now with this fourth incarnation, right, you're moving again. What is, this one sounds like you're going to be with the condos at the same time. How is that working? Yes, what is the, finally, we're not being replaced by condos. <laughs> we're going to be with, in, inside a condo. You're anchoring. <laughs> no, seriously, we are anchoring because this is the old, um, it's an old um, hotel, the, the um, Crown Plaza Hotel, which was right around the corner from our old lumber warehouse. And the same developer bought the property we were on in the lumber warehouse. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they owned this hotel. So when they told me three years ago that they were tearing me down, um, they also said, but we're building you a new theater. So I said, well, okay, I need a few more details here. So the first thing, I, seriously, the first thing I did, they, they sat me down in my lobby and they said, mm. I'm tearing your theater down. Mm. And I said, and then we'll build you another one. And so I said, well, okay, just follow me into my theater for a minute. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've seen my theater. Mm -hmm. And so I, we walk into the theater and I say, see the height? It's probably 18 feet high. It's, yes. it's high. It's, it's not fly space high, but it's high okay, yes. for, for a small theater. It's not a basement, okay? So it's yep. about 18 feet up there. And I said to them, I have to have height. Don't go putting me, don't think you can go put me in a basement. With a low just, ceiling not, where you can't, right, exactly. yeah, you can't have lights. I have to have height. Yeah. And, the, and it, as time went on, I actually said, and I have to have more toilets and I have to have more Good. than a unisex dressing room. So we're really, you know, 35 years later, I'm finally getting... You know, a, 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 a brick and mortar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The real, the real thing you wanted. You know, maybe way back yeah. when you're getting now. I, I knew enough to demand at this time. But anyway, yes. they are converting the hotel into wow. condos, but they've carved the entire front out and have made and designed a very impressive exterior. Mm. So that they're, they're taking us very seriously. They're taking our presence in this hotel, in this condo building because it's front and center yeah. they're taking it they, they value it i mean it's what's extraordinary i just have to tell you this developer it i don't even know if they knew this at the time they must have but in in 1984 we had rent free space in multiple locations until we ended up on in this storefront um because we had some space over in shirlington and around it about um and the same developer who gave us rent-free space in 1984 is the developer we're using today in 2020. Wow. And I think that's quite extraordinary. And the other extraordinary thing wow. is it's the same architect. I'm the same architect. <gasps> You're kidding. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, so it's meant to be, Carolyn. Absolutely. I mean, and, and so... I mean, I think it's smart of the developer, if you ask me, as a citizen, and you know, as a resident of Arlington, not of Alexandria, but nearby, I have to say that the the when developers build spaces for entertainment, the everything around it blossoms. Uh, restaurants go up, bars, um, shops, other um, adjacent spaces and things for people to be because that's the heart of the community. It becomes, you know, I think of like Studio Theater on 14th Street in oh Washington was one of yeah. the first things there. Everyone's like, oh, the Whole Foods. I'm like, no, it was a Studio Theater <laughs> and then the Whole Foods. The area yeah, right. Because of Studio Theater. And look, look on 7th Street, look on 15th yes. Street 
Northeast. Theaters. All the same story every yeah. time. So they're smart. They're being very smart to anchor, to use metro stage as an anchor for this space and for this. And I think that, you know, to build, what are they calling it, like the North Old Town District or area? You know, that's kind yes, of what it's, it's going to be. It's the arts. And I was part of a, a major group of developers and mm -hmm. people um, a few years ago. And, we, and they, city, city management take, um, their small area plans very, very seriously. And so we did a small area plan and it was, it did, it suggested, it recommended that we ha we establish an, a cult, an arts and cultural district and that Metro Stage be the arts anchor. Oh, okay. And then it had to go to city council and it was voted unanimously approved, approved for mm. this. So they, what the developers are seeing with Metro Stage, and we also have another arts institution in the Old Town North area, which is the Art League that's, you know, works oh, yes. at the you know, factory in, in, mm -hmm. in Old Town North. So we have two already established institutions in the area, mm -hmm. and um, they're hoping that will attract more, but they're very committed to making it an arts district, and I think it's extraordinarily exciting and, 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 and a wonderful opportunity for Metro Stage to be an arts literally an arts anchor i mean that's what they're absolutely calling us. in that area what is the what is the space going to be like for the theater have you seen plans i know we can't reveal uh, it's still not been revealed and everything is yet to come i think for for you know no one can are the photos and uh, plans aren't available yet i think right that, but they're coming oh, they soon absolutely are, <gasps> oh they are the architect and i have oh. designed it oh wonderful so tell us a that little bit more our, um, it, well it's still small mm -hmm. but it still has a thrust stage, which is so nice. important for intimacy and mm -hmm. um, for the audience to feel a part of what what's going on on a stage. And it still has a steep rake mm -hmm. of seats, so there's every seat's a good seat. No bad and seats. It yeah. It actually has another little element that's kind of exciting, which um, we've put in that, that creates a little bit of the front front section. Um, Cafe tables. Oh, so really, yes. So really, it's going to be very. It, you can use it for in a lot of ways. Yes. And very flexible. It, and and we do we do well a lot of musicals anyway. So yeah. you still have the cabaret feel mm -hmm. and the musical theater feel and the dramatic feel depending on you know on the you, setup. Yeah. How we arrange things. So it's really a very exciting configuration, and and it's honestly uh, a little challenging because it has it was challenging because it was still a pre-existing building, and uh, we had to fit a theater inside some structural columns. Ah, uh, <laughs> I see. Up thirteen floors of our hotel. <laughs> right. Our so my I give Skip McGinnis full credit. I've, I've always said. I, I don't know why Skip, when he sees me coming, doesn't run the other direction. <laughs> because for, for, you know, 35 years later and right. the fourth theater designing for me. But we, we do well together and he understands me and I understand him. And wow. I, I respect the things, the things that he has to put in because he's the architect and that's what you have to do. Right. And he listens to me in terms of what we need from an artistic standpoint. So that's it's great. a pretty fabulous collaboration. And just to make it more crazy, his wife is the one I went to went to the showcase of the theater in 1984 to see what was going on with this new theater that was coming to Alexandria. And, you know, 35 years later, her husband is still 
designing theaters for me. Wow, that's amazing, Carolyn. I mean, you know, this all of this stuff is so uh, full circle for you and for the theater community in, in, in Alexandria. So that's a wonderful story. When can we expect um, the theater? Is there an opening date or time? Uh, I know that these well, construction sites are usually very complex and there's a lot of things to consider. It's complicated. It's always complicated. Mm-hmm. And it's more complicated now with our pandemic. And we yeah. don't, I don't, I honestly don't know if that they're still working on it because it's completely all open air. So the, they're, they're working on it, but I don't know on the if structure. they're working on it, the structure as fast as, as they might've been. Otherwise, I just don't know. We've always said it's going to be a couple of years, but see, I still have to raise some money. They're uh-huh. providing a lot of things, but I have to raise some money, and I cannot start a capital campaign in the middle of a pandemic. No, so let's talk about the pandemic, because different, different <laughs> the, you know, reality. yeah, as depressing as it is, um, everyone's dealing with it, and all the people that I've yes. talked to in my podcast at different um, stages of it and, and are dealing with, you know, the theater community has, is really... Um, reeling still from um, having to shut down and really mostly um, live performances. So um, what has Metro Stage, so I'm I'm sure because I know you and I know how you think that you had already had a plan in place. I know you did for the closing of one theater until you moved into the new theater. So I know that you had that plan in place regardless of the pandemic, right? But then the pandemic struck. So did you shift anything or did it work or what, what are you guys doing during, what kind of programming are you offering? Is it online or, or is it limited, you know, restricted to what's going on in the pandemic? Well, it's, it's amazing that we were actually already shut down and then the Mm. pandemic came in everybody had to shut down. So, mm. I mean, I'm so grateful I didn't have to close a show in the middle of a production because that is a devastating yeah. financial loss to the yeah. theaters. And I feel terrible for, for them because yeah. it's, it's really, you've got, you have so many upfront costs yeah. that if you can't complete the run of a show, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to lose money. And it's, yep. it's a shame. But anyway, we already were closed down. I was spending, I spent at least six months moving out of that theater because I had to categorize and catalog and organize and I gave all of our costumes to the um, George Washington University's costume shop mm. and it just went on and on and wow. I, I have to find a home for everything so my costumes sure. went so places and anyway that took time and then we were going to start and we had scheduled up um doing some readings at the Lyceum which is for people out of Alexandria it's a lovely probably 120 seats, um, kind of a concert hall, mm-hmm. miniature concert hall in an old building in Alexandria, which is a lovely space. And we used it a lot the last time we were in between theaters. Sure. But um, of course, the pandemic came and that shut down, so that stopped that. Mm. So what we're, what I'm planning on doing, because I I have some things that we're, are in the works, but I really, unless it goes on indefinitely, sure. I really don't want to do them online so what i'm doing is we're going we're creating some things online that are little i i I guess i'll use the word teasers they're teasers okay like 15 or 20 minutes Mm. about it with the actor with the director Mm. something related to it but i think because one's a one person show one has two characters you need to be there it's just not the same and i I, sure. I would much rather 
do a series of 15, 20 minute bits for our audience to let them know what's coming and intrigue them and interest them about a subject and, and a, a piece than to just do it online. So it you're doing, are these going to be teasers about what's coming when you do open? Is that what you're saying? Or teasers no, about the new space? Because you've got that to do as well. Not necessarily, because okay. if, if things open up before the new space opens up, I see. these are things that are small and could be done other places. That was the goal. I was finding things sure. that don't need a set and don't need big production yeah. um, requirements, but can be done in other locations. Mm -hmm. And so I think probably they will be done in other locations. I'll give you an example. We did yeah. um, Cousin... Cousin Bella is a piece, a brilliant, stunning little piece that we did at the um, last um, page to stage at the Kennedy Center last Labor Day, and it was a it was it was mm. a sell sell out. Well, you know, complimentary tickets, but it, it was very popular. The house yeah, and people were turned away, and people mm. loved it, and we want to do it more and more and more because it's such a wonderful story. But the story is about an immigrant coming. Jewish immigrant coming in, um, ending up in the Lower East Side at the turn of the century, and it's it's written. It was a memoir by Sherman Yellen. Well, Sherman Yellen is the playwright who wrote Cousin, um, who wrote um, Josephine Tonight. Oh. I've been in touch with him over the years, mm -hmm. and so it's it's a wonderful artistic relationship we have. And so this is a, a memoir of his. I adapted it um, mm. to a to be a two-person piece between Sherman, who wrote it, and Cousin Bella, who told it. Mm -hmm. And it, and it's that sort of thing that I want people to experience it, whether it's at the Lyceum, whether it is in um, any number of places it would be appropriate, because it's more of a love letters type thing. You you need a, a table and two chairs. Right, so you're gonna be- a fabulous actor. So, so you're, you're gonna be finding a space for it, is what you're saying, exactly. once we reopen. Which is great. And in a way, you were ready for, not for the pandemic, yes. but you were ready for this sort of um, moving pieces of theater around exactly. because that's what you had to do for your... That was what I was going to do. So for the next what is the goal? Is the goal to open? I, I thought I saw something in 2022. Is that still on schedule or are we thinking further out? You don't, you really don't know I now, think right? probably 2022. But, yeah. And what the, the developer wants... Um, wants to actually, I mean, they really want to open and launch, have us launching the theater at exactly the same time as they're opening the condoms. Oh, uh, right. Well, yeah, you want to have, uh, uh, you know, foot traffic too. Yeah. That's, that's going to be, you've that's got, the goal. you almost have a built-in audience, right? <laughs> they're right above you. Well, to some Hopefully. Degree, the, the, lovely, yeah, the lovely thing is that our older space, the, the, we were always kind of facing the parking lot. Yeah. And not, a little bit off the... A little the, hidden, yeah. We're a little hidden. We're yeah. a little hidden um, in the lumber warehouse. Here we are front and center. Mm. We're on a main street in Old Town, in North Old Town, Old Town, Alexandria. Yeah. And we're facing a park, which is kind of the central piece of North Old Town. So it's really kind of a glorious opportunity mm. for us to really become even more visible and more mm. important 
important to the community and bring, I've always said, it's as important to me to serve the immediate neighbors and immediate residents of Alexandria as it is to bring in outsiders to Alexandria and make Alexandria an arts destination city and bring in both from an economic standpoint and an artistic standpoint, have our presence in Alexandria mean something to both our neighbors and to the outside world. Well, and I think Alexandria feels the same about you, Carolyn, because you've received the Cultural Affairs Awards Award, I know from the Alexandria Commission for Women. I know that the Alexandria community is very grateful and thankful for the work that you've done, and you've always done it with an eye towards what you've just said, which is building the community, which is part of what theater can do so well. And I also know that you, I just heard that you received uh, Helen Starr, which is named after the Hel Helen Hayes in DC from Theater Washington, which they say presented to daring visionaries who have shaped and redefined the landscape of Washington theater. And I think that's a great description because that's you. Well, it was it was a great honor to even be have that said about me. But you know, well, all it's I've true. Done is, it's followed my passion and done yes. something I thought was important and enough other people did to let it survive for 35 years. <laughs> well, but I mean, you know, you've, you've led this, this, um, this theater and, and as part of it, the community into um, having a wonderful place for people to sh um, learn new things, to explore um, new stories and to exchange and produce new ideas. That's the goal of, of any successful community to be able to have an artistic space to do that. And for so long now, Metro Stage has been that really that space for, for that part of Virginia, for, for, for Alexandria. So um, I, I think these awards come very well deserved. And, and I know you're humble, but I just wanted to tell you that I think as a longtime resident of Northern Virginia and theater goer and theater practitioner, I feel that about you. And I think it's well deserved and high time. And I'm glad you've gotten recognition. And I'm so excited about what's going to happen with a new space. So keep me posted. If people want to find out more about all of this, all the plans, uh, everything that's going on, it's just metrostage.org. I know that's your website. Is there anywhere else on social media? Are you guys on Facebook, Instagram? Well, yes, we have a Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, all of, all of the above. And at the bottom of every page, I believe, on our website, there's a place where you can sign up for our email blasts. And so I, you know, I really encourage people to get on our email list because that's where we will tell you what's coming up and where to find it and what we're doing and what's happening. And that's just, if they, I have an email address here, it's info at metrostage.org. That's the, is that yes, the email? Can, yeah. Yes, they can get in touch, but there's actually something where they put their email address into something Oh. Email oh, yes, it is. So right at the bottom of Metro Stage. Sorry about this. So right at the bottom of MetroStage.org, they can join your email list yes. by putting their first name, last name, and email address. And I recommend that people do that because then they can keep abreast of the latest information, what's going on with Metro Stage, what's the next uh, performance, when. And also, I assume you're, I, I've gotten my emails, so I see that you are giving us updates on the space, where, what's going on. I've seen some photos, which is great. So if you want to be in the know and know what's going on. Also, if someone wanted to donate um, to Metro Stage or give to the campaign, you said you're you're starting to raise, or you're continuing to raise money for this new space. What do they need to do? Is, the, is that also on the website where they can learn more? Well, yes and no. We're, okay. we're going to be establishing 
uh, uh, we have not so far had, okay. had a click button for them to donate, which is silly because we should have. But they can always, you know, call the theater, email the theater. Mm-hmm. They can send checks. Sure. I can, you know, just get in touch. We will figure out a way for them to donate to us. Right. So if anyone's listening and wants to help out, um, you know, yeah. and wants to help with this transition, because especially people that live in the Northern Virginia area and that want to see Metro sure. Stage um, th- continue to thrive, then that's definitely a good idea. Yeah. So, um, well, Carolyn, this has been a wonderful chat. I'm so glad that we were able to talk. And I know we just scratched the surface of all the, all the things and wonderful projects that you've worked on and that you are continuing to work on with the energy of a person uh, half my age. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I've always... I always, I am always with you, and I always feel like I need to boost my energy when I'm around you. I need to do more. <laughs> uh, well, I do. I have to admit, I get a little energized talking about Metro Stage. Because these are all projects very close to my heart because I, as I said, I could not put the time and energy into it if I didn't believe they were of inherent value to to the audiences and to the artists. Artists have gotten in this area and nationally, because they've come from all over, um, these artists on my stage have had some pretty fabulous roles Yes. from from Metro Stage. Yeah, it's so been fantastic. It's exciting where it serves every, everybody is served and we will continue to serve. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn. Thanks for giving your time to thank American you. Theater Artists Online. And we wish you all the best. And we'll be watching. And we're going to really excited to find out what uh, Metro Stage is working on and all the new things that are going to come out of the new home uh, coming soon for Metro Stage. So thank you so much. Great. Well, thanks for giving me an opportunity to tell, tell a little bit of our story. As you know, there's lots more to it. Of course. But, um, this has been great fun, Stefan. Thank, thank you, you Carolyn. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.